Well, it's good to be back with you all today. We were down in North Carolina last weekend for a pretty big day in the life of our family. Our youngest son, Daniel, married a young, wonderful young woman named Kendall, a girl he's been dating for a few years now. I got to do the ceremony, which was fun. We had our whole gang together, and uh, even some Grace Chapel friends and family made their way down there to help mark the moment with us. Now, Daniel was in second grade when we moved here. So he has grown up in this place through Kids Town and Boy Stockade and student ministries and mission trips, even did an internship at our Watertown campus one summer. They say it takes a village to raise a child, and I am just as convinced it takes a church to raise a Christ follower. And I just want you to know that we are deeply grateful for many of you who have by your prayers and your service, your ministry, your love, your gifts, invested in the lives of our children and many, many others around here over the years so that they are able to follow Christ as they enter into adulthood. So we are feeling very blessed that way. Well, recently someone called a book, called to my attention, a book entitled Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. Now, the author, Sherry Turk, is a professor of social study and technology at MIT. And her premise is that our digitally driven culture is eroding our ability to connect with each other in ways that are essential to our well-being as human beings and as a society. To put it more simply, she says, we are losing the ability to talk to each other and are instead settling for texts and tweets and emails that keep us from actually looking at each other, listening to each other, and revealing ourselves to one another. Now, you don't have to be a professor at MIT to get it. Just look around the next time you're in the doctor's, in the waiting room at the doctor's office, or standing in a checkout line, or riding in a car with friends, or maybe even sitting at your own dinner table. People are connecting, all right, but it's not with each other. It's with whoever or whatever is on the other end of that device they're holding in, our, in their hands. And the problem, Turkel says, isn't just that we're too distracted to talk. It's that we're losing our ability to talk that we literally don't know how to carry on conversations anymore. And that's disastrous, she says, because conversation is the fundamental building block of human relationships and of human society. Uh, Recently, I was visiting with my son, Brendan, and uh, their four-month-old daughter, Molly Joy. And as I was bouncing her on my knee, we ended up having quite a conversation. Now, just listen for a minute as I try to explain to her that her Mimi back in Boston wants to say hi. He said to say hi, okay? She wishes she could be here. Oh, that's a sweet sound. Is she brilliant or what? I mean... She's four months old. She doesn't have any words, but she's already figured out that this is what human beings do. They talk to each other. They connect that way. 
Turkle says that conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. If we can't talk to each other, we can't learn, we can't connect, we can't build community, we can't do business, we can't resolve conflict, and we certainly can't be neighbors. So here we are in week four of our series in which we're learning how to love our neighbors as ourselves. The most important thing a human being can do, according to Jesus. What we're learning is that loving our neighbors is actually remarkably simple. We've learned that neighbors know each other. They pay attention to the people around them. They take the time to feel what other people are feeling, and they pray for people they know and encounter. We learn that neighbors enjoy each other. They have fun together. They have each other over. They throw parties and go to parties. Well, so far, so good. Neighbors know each other. Neighbors enjoy each other. Anybody can do those things, right? This week is where it starts to get tricky. This week is where the introverts among us begin to get nervous because neighbors talk to each other. The truth is, it's not just the introverts who are getting sweaty palms right now. It's any of us who have found ourselves in one of those awkward conversations, those conversations about God or faith or religion, And whether we are on the leading end of that conversation, trying to steer it towards spiritual things, or if we're on the receiving end of that conversation, wondering why in the world this person is bringing up God, those conversations often feel clunky and uncomfortable and usually end awkwardly. So if loving your neighbor means telling them about Jesus, what Christians typically call witnessing, then this commandment just got a whole lot scarier and a whole lot more challenging. But what if Jesus had something much simpler in mind? What if it's about conversations, not conversions? What if the simple act of talking to another person qualified as an act of love, regardless of where it leads? And what if even the most introverted and digitally distracted among us could actually learn how to reclaim the lost art of conversation? Now, as many of you know, I am the last person in the world to be teaching you about how to have conversation. It's not my strong suit. But Jesus can. So let's catch up with Jesus as we've been doing each week as he shows us by example how to love our neighbors. We're going to listen in today on one of the most fascinating conversations that we find anywhere in the Bible. Now, it's a conversation we have looked at many times together before, and I'll actually be drawing on some insights we have found along the way before. But they are insights and practices that in our fast-paced, digitally-driven, politically polarized culture, these skills may be more relevant and needed than ever. So the conversation is found in John chapter 4. It's the familiar encounter Jesus has with a woman at a well in Samaria. So let's pick it up, beginning in John chapter 4, verse 5. So he came to a town 
in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, we should point out right from the beginning that this conversation had every reason to go nowhere. For one thing, they are complete strangers. They have nothing in common. They know nothing about each other. No history together. For another thing, Jesus is a man and she's a woman. And in that culture, it was highly unusual, almost inappropriate for a man and a woman to be talking to each other in public. And so this had to be a little bit uncomfortable for both of them. And for a third thing, he's a, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. And we know that Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. As far as Jews were concerned, Samaritans were half-breeds and heretics. As far as Samaritans were concerned, Jews were haughty, arrogant, judgmental, and intolerant. So there are all kinds of reasons for Jesus not to have engaged this woman in conversation. And there are all kinds of ways this conversation could have gone terribly wrong. Imagine bumping into your neighbor at the end of your driveway and entering into a conversation in which you're going to deal with religion, politics, race, and gender all in one conversation. <laughs> That's what's going to happen here. It had every reason to go badly. And yet Jesus manages to engage this woman in a conversation that has a remarkable impact, not only on her, but on a whole lot of other people as well. So how did he do it? What can we learn from Jesus about talking to our neighbors? We're going to discover four simple skills that can enable us to rediscover the power of talk. And the first principle is to be open, not closed. Be open, not closed. Now, we've already pointed out the cultural reasons that, uh, that Jesus had no business talking to this woman, but we haven't yet talked about the personal reason. Jesus is tired the text specifically tells us that. So tired that he's too tired even to walk into town and get lunch. All he wants to do is sit down by the well and rest. Chances are he's been talking to the disciples that whole morning as they made their journey along the road, and he's looking forward to some downtime. And yet when he runs into this woman, he finds the energy and the grace to enter into a conversation. And one of the reasons that we so often miss out on meaningful conversation is that we're just simply not open to it. We're in such a rush to get to the next thing. We're so preoccupied by our own agendas. We're so distracted by the devices in our hands. We're so insecure about whether or not people are going to like us that we never even give a chance for these conversations to happen. We actually close ourselves off from people. We, we, we don't make eye contact. We keep our heads down. We rush through a transaction. Sometimes we'll literally cross the street or take the long hallway around to avoid bumping into someone we'd rather not talk to. I was flying home from some meetings just the other day, and in the airport at the gate before getting on board, I was talking to someone on the phone, and this is what I said, and I quote, 
I have this sermon to work on, so I hope I don't get stuck next to some talkers. <laughs> now, here's the irony. The sermon I was working on was this one <laughs> about talking to your neighbors. Now, I actually got so convicted by that that I said, okay, Lord, I'll try. So I did my best to try to make a connection with my seatmates. Tried to make eye contact, had a smile ready. Thing is, I ended up getting stuck between these two dudes who had no interest in a conversation. The first one immediately put on his headphones and went to sleep. The second one spent the entire flight watching Friday Night Lights on his iPad. We were elbow to elbow with each other for three hours and literally never exchanged one word. So maybe Sherry Turkle is onto something, and we really are losing our ability to talk to each other. And that's tragic because it's something that we desperately want and need. And so we need to ask ourselves, as we make our way out the door in the morning and off to wherever we're going, are we really open to a conversation? Are we making eye contact? Are we learning and using people's names? Are we taking our time as we do business and grab something to eat for lunch or coffee break? Are we creating sacred spaces, Turkle calls them, for conversations to actually happen? So let's come back to that scenario we opened with in our video. You're at your cousin's wedding. You bump into an old acquaintance at the bar. Someone who's looking and sounding a little bit forlorn. Are you open to a conversation or not? And openness begins, of course, with a prayer. A simple prayer. Before you head out the door in the morning, before you get on the airplane, before you walk into the room, before you start the cocktail hour, here I am, Lord. Is there anyone I can show your love to today. Be open, not closed. A second skill Jesus teaches us is to start with the everyday, not the eternal. Start with the everyday, not the eternal. People of faith often feel this pressure to manipulate every conversation towards some spiritual topic, God or faith or church or Jesus. Someone says to us, big game this weekend, huh? And we say, yeah, sure am glad Jesus won the big game for me. <laughs> now, that's just weird. That's awkward for everybody. What we notice about Jesus is that he begins with the everyday, with the subject at hand. He's sitting at a well. It's hot. He's thirsty. She has a bucket. And so he says the most natural thing in the world, can you give me something to drink? He starts where they are. Now, in this conversation, the, in this account, rather, the conversation moves along pretty quickly, but chances are there was a whole lot more dialogue around that well than John has included for us here in the gospel. The point is, Jesus could have gone right to her issues, 
like why she was fetching water in the middle of the day instead of in the cool of the morning with all the other women from town. But Jesus doesn't begin with all that. He begins with the everyday stuff, with the small stuff. And too many of us, myself included, underestimate the importance of small talk. The weather, the game, the kids, the stock market. We're so determined to get to the big stuff that we either rush awkwardly into it, sure glad Jesus won the game for me, or we don't even bother to engage because it's just small talk. But if talking is the most human and humanizing thing we can do, then there really is no such thing as small talk. I'm going to say that again for my own benefit. There really is no such thing as small talk. Every conversation communicates dignity and delight and value to the person on the other end of that conversation. Every conversation is in itself an act of love, regardless of where it leads. Jesus, by the simple act of speaking to this woman, communicates dignity and worth to her. Now, we're going to find out this is a woman who's been treated badly by a lot of men in her life. So here she is surprised that Jesus takes an interest in her, that he engages her in a conversation, asks her for a favor, listens to her thoughts and her experiences. The power of small talk. There's a couple who lives in our neighborhood. They've lived there for years. We don't really know them that well. They kind of live over on the far side, a few several streets away. But, but our, a couple of our kids were in high school together. And for years, we've been kind of bumping into each other as we walk, take, take walks through the neighborhood in the evening and things like that. And whenever we do, we give each other what I call the New England nod. <laughs> All right, you know that, right? Like, brief eye contact smile, and then you move on. I mean, in no sense getting all tangled up in a conversation. I mean, we don't want to intrude on each other's privacy, right? We've been doing this for years. The thing is, I've always kind of wanted to get to know them. The little bit I know about them suggests that they're probably interesting people, that we might have some things that we could talk about together. But it's just never really happened. For years, we have literally been nodding at each other. And I was beginning to think, well, maybe, maybe they don't want to connect. Maybe they don't like us. Maybe, maybe our kids didn't get along in school, or maybe the whole pastor thing has them feeling weird about me, or maybe it's the Yankee thing. I don't know. Who knows what it is? <laughs> but the whole thing was unsettling. A couple of weeks ago, I'm at the local stop and shop running some errands, and I spot the woman pushing her cart around the produce section, which is where I was. Now, I'm already in a cranky mood, so I really don't want to bump into anybody. And I figure she doesn't want to bump into me and have another one of those awkward encounters either. So I literally maneuver my cart in the other direction, and literally we're avoiding each other through the produce section. Talk about being closed. But suddenly we find ourselves standing at the deli counter together. They give each other the New England nod. <laughs> and then she speaks up. 
I, I forget how it started. She just asked the question, maybe about the kids or the neighbor or something. I don't know. And we got talking about this and that and how long we'd lived there. And then she said to me, so are you still over at Grace Chapel? So I said yes, and I started talking about things that were going on here. And she talked about her, their experience in church and how they don't go so much anymore. And we, we talked for quite a few minutes. We both had our orders filled, and we were still talking. Now, on the one hand, it was just a conversation. Five minutes at the deli counter. At the same time, it was more than a conversation because it actually brightened my day I think it awakened something in her. And suddenly, we have a connection in our neighborhood. And the next time we bump into each other, we can do more than nod. And I look forward to that. Someone has suggested that in our fast-paced, digitally-driven culture, that talking to someone is the modern equivalent of giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name that it is an act of love in itself, regardless of where it leads. And so there really is no such thing as small talk. So start with the everyday, not the eternal. But sometimes small talk leads to bigger talk. And that's what happens here. So let's pick up the story in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us, we gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Sometimes small talk leads to bigger talk, and we find the conversation drifting towards more substantive issues. Sometimes the guy at the bar says, I'm doing terrible, but you wouldn't understand. And suddenly a door is open. But this is where it gets tricky and scary and sometimes weird. So Jesus helps us. The third skill we learn from Jesus is to raise questions, not answers. Raise questions, not answers. We tend to think that conversation is about talking when really conversation is just as much about listening. We tend to think as people of faith that we're supposed to have all the answers. We're waiting for an opportunity to download our message when in reality, perhaps the most loving thing we can do is just ask a question and listen to the answer, to hear what's on their heart before we get around to sharing what's on our heart. Remember, Jesus began this conversation with a question. Will you give me something to drink? He puts her in the driver's seat. He makes himself the needy, vulnerable one. She becomes the expert. We honor people when we ask for their help, when we ask for a favor, when we ask their opinion. We encourage someone when we ask how they're doing and actually listen to the answer. So Jesus begins the conversation with a question. And even though he doesn't frame the rest of the conversation in the form of a question, he's actually raising questions in her mind as he goes. Look again at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, 
and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is asking her, in effect, what are you really thirsty for? And notice how she responds. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus is raising all kinds of questions for this woman. Who is this man? What is living water? What am I looking for in life? And where can this water be found? Now, just a little background here. That expression, living water, was a common idiom of the day to describe water from a spring or a stream as opposed to water found in a pond or a cistern. So it's water that's bubbling. It's water that's moving instead of water that's stagnant, gathering dust and, and algae. Bubbling water was much more refreshing than stagnant water. And so Jesus is awakening something in her, the desire for something more, for something better. And that opens the door to an even more meaningful conversation. And we can do that too. We can open doors simply by asking questions of people, inviting them to tell us about themselves, about their life, about their background, and then listening attentively to their responses. Most people are eager and happy to talk about themselves if they find someone who is genuinely interested and will actually listen to the answers. So it turns out the secret of being a good conversationalist isn't having something to say. It's having something to ask. Tell me, where are you from originally? How did the two of you meet? Where do you guys like to go for vacation? How did you choose medicine or construction or teaching for a profession? Questions like that invite people to reveal themselves. I had a guest in my office the other day. It was the first time we had ever met. And the first thing he said to me after shaking my hand was, Tell me about some of the things you have on the wall in your office. And so I showed him my hat collection and the log from the beaver dam in Quebec and uh, my son's artwork, a picture of George Washington. And in two or three minutes, I had a chance to reveal all kinds of things about myself and opened up what became a very meaningful conversation between the two of us. And I thought, how many times have I stepped into people's offices and never asked that simple question, tell me about that picture on the wall? And if you should sense the prompting of the Spirit to take the conversation in a spiritual direction, again, asking a question is the best way to go. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual background. Is it positive or negative? Do you have any thoughts about Christians these days? Get ready for an earful. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? Is there anything I could pray about for you? None of those questions have right or wrong answers. They're simply inviting someone, giving them an opportunity to share what their thoughts and feelings are about things that really matter. And most people are happy to do that. And if it leads to a conversation about Jesus, that's wonderful. But even if it doesn't, you have loved them simply by listening to them. But if the conversation should lead towards Jesus, there's one more skill we have to learn. Share good news, not religion. Share good news, not religion. 
Let's pick it up at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, in the course of the conversation, it becomes clear that this woman has a checkered past. She's been married several times and is now living with a man she's not married to. And so it's an uncomfortable moment for this woman. And so she quickly tries to change the subject by bringing up an age-old theological dispute between Jews and Samaritans. Now, notice how Jesus handles it. First, he doesn't get stuck on her past. He doesn't feel the need to point out all her mistakes. Jesus never begins conversations with sin. He just begins where people are. And secondly, he doesn't get dragged into a religious argument. He reminds her that God isn't interested in this religion or that religion. What he's interested in is people, people who are genuinely seeking him. And then he says a remarkable thing to her. I who speak to you am he. Now, how do you think he said it? Sternly, as if she was in trouble? I who speak to you am he. <laughs> or do you think he said it warmly, with a smile and maybe a wink? I who speak to you am he. Like it was the best news she'd ever heard. Like it was the news she'd been waiting all her life to hear, which it was. Good news. Notice, he didn't give her the whole truth. There were all kinds of things he could have explained to her, but he doesn't get into all that. He tells her the one thing she needed to hear that day, that he was the man she was looking for, that he had living water that he could refresh her soul after all the hurt and disappointment she'd experienced. So if we make our way through the day open to conversation, starting with the everyday, raising questions, sometimes those conversations will get around to spiritual things. But when they do, we get to share good news, not religion. It's not about this church or that church. It's not about creation versus evolution. It's not about rules and rituals and lifestyle. It's not, it's not about how much suffering there is in the world. It's not about why there's so many hypocrites in the church. It's just about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. No one can argue with that. A recent survey shows that 78% of people who don't go to church on a regular basis would be happy to have a conversation with a friend about spiritual things. 78% happy to have the conversation, even if they disagreed. We don't have to be afraid to talk about those things if the conversation leads that way. And, and we don't have to give the whole thing all at once. Most people will have multiple conversations on their way to faith in Christ. We're doing baptisms on several of our campuses today. 
And if you listen to or read through the stories of those who are being baptized, every one of them will reveal the fact that there have been many conversations on their way to this day. Conversations around a dinner table. Conversations in a Bible study group. Conversations in a school hallway. Conversations with strangers. And sometimes conversations with neighbors. Listen to just a little bit of one of those stories told by Francis. She writes, In 2007, I watched the movie Amazing Grace. And a few days later, my housekeeper, as she was cleaning, started to sing the song Amazing Grace. I thought, what a coincidence, and shared with her that I had just seen the movie. She looked at me and told me that God had asked her to sing that song and proceeded to share that God had a plan for my life and for my husband, who was an atheist at the time. At first, I was skeptical, but as time went by, my desire to know Christ grew. Some days later, I went out to lunch with a friend who told me that for months, God had asked her to pray for me and for my husband. We prayed together, and her prayer was, bring people into his life that would speak to him about God. That night, my husband told me that a coworker, while having lunch, all of a sudden started talking about God. All these events were only the beginning of the changes in our lives as both my husband and I became believers. Francis is being baptized today in Lexington, making a public declaration of her faith in Christ. And it all began with a housekeeper who went to work open to a conversation raising questions by the song she was singing and when she had the opportunity, speaking about Jesus. Now, we don't have time to read the whole rest of the story, but here's the interesting thing. We don't really know if this woman became a believer that day. Now, I'd really never noticed that before, but Several commentators call attention to it. And if you look at the text, all John tells us is this. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, church tradition tells us she did become a believer. But at this point, she's still asking questions. She's still trying to figure it all out. And that's okay. Because sometimes it's just a conversation, one of many on a journey of faith. What John does tell us is that many people from that town did believe because of the woman's testimony, because of a conversation that took place at a well, because of a couple of strangers having small talk around a well that led to a dramatic change in a lot of people's lives. And so if it can happen at a well in Samaria, it can happen anywhere. It can happen at the deli counter. It can happen at the end of the driveway. It can happen in a lunchroom at work. It can happen anywhere you are in the days to come. And it can even happen at a bar at your cousin's wedding when you bump into an old acquaintance who's looking and sounding a little forlorn, who says to you, I'm doing terrible, but you wouldn't understand. At that point, you could politely excuse yourself. You could deftly change the subject. 
Or you could pull up a stool and say, try me. Neighbors talk to each other. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes it's more than a conversation. But either way, it's an act of love. And you never know where that might lead. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for preserving this story for us in all of its authenticity and relevance. Many of us here today are grateful for people who had conversations with us along the way. Lord, we pray that with a sense of gratitude for those who have talked to us, with a sense of awareness of your call to love our neighbors, that we might head into this week with our eyes and ears and even our mouth wide open, ready to engage people in ways that bless them and honor you and perhaps open the door for you to make yourself known to them. We thank you for those who had conversations with the folks who are about to be baptized today. Thank you that as a result of those conversations, they have come to put their faith in you, to believe that you, in fact, are their Messiah, their Savior, that you are the living water for their souls. Pray that you might make these moments meaningful for them and for us as they follow you in baptism. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.